0: SRN News. WTPN, Penelis Barclay.
1: So what we've discovered thus far here in Genesis chapter 2 is that God's first purpose in creating marriage was to create marriage for our good by providing us with what we needed, a spouse who would be our best friend But as the story of Genesis continues, as we see God providing Eve for Adam, we see a second purpose that the Lord had in mind for creating marriage, which is this. God created marriage, note this, to be the priority relationship in life.
2: There's an acronym often used in social media that almost always bothers me because it seems to indicate a lack of understanding of that very principle. It's BFF best friend forever rarely is it used to refer to a spouse and that's a pity good friends close friends what a blessing they are but if my wife isn't my very best friend then i need to put some energy and time into improving that relationship hello and welcome to verse by verse a radio bible class led by pastor steve kreloff the teaching pastor at lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida we're in the midst of a series of lessons that are going over god's blueprints for biblical marriages In all of the history of mankind, there was only ever one perfect marriage. But once Eve tasted that forbidden fruit, and Adam went along with her, they became slaves to sin. They gave birth to slaves to sin, and no relationship was ever perfect again. But we still have that blueprint, don't we? And the more closely we follow it, the better our marriage relationships will be. In Genesis chapter 2, we find some reasons God created the marriage relationship. One reason is that since we are made in God's image, companionship is important to us. If we don't have the right companion, we'll work on finding him or her. And as we just heard, this special companion ought to be the most important person in our life. If you're able to do so, open your Bible now to Genesis chapter 2. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson.
1: So God reveals that in addressing Adam's aloneness, he is about to provide a companion for him, one who is going to be also his strong helper, so she can balance out his, his weaknesses with her strengths. Notice, though, there's more. Notice verse 18 again, because God says that it wasn't simply a helper that Adam needed, but it was a helper, note this, suitable for him that he needed. Now, what does this mean, suitable? It means that God's plan was to give Adam a helper who, though different from him, would correspond to him so that she would be perfectly suited to help him. You see, once again, we go to the Hebrew. The Hebrew term suitable for him literally means opposite him. That's what the word means, opposite him. And the thought here is that a wife is the opposite Of her husband in the sense that she completes him. That is to say that a wife is the opposite of her husband so that though she is different from him, this difference is for the purpose of complementing and corresponding to him. In other words, she's like the piece of a puzzle that perfectly fits her husband. Here's how one Bible teacher explains what it means for a wife to correspond to her husband husband by being his opposite. He writes, our uniquely male and female anatomies obviously correspond to each other, but the correspondence between men and women goes deeper than the physical complement. There are divinely intended gender differences that enrich and empower one another. Listen, what this implies is that a husband is incomplete without his wife. He needs her to make him complete, and she needs him to make her complete. So husbands and wives are supposed to be different from each other. This is the way that God made them so that they can complement and balance each other out and thus function as a completed whole. I'll even take this a step further and say that this appears to be the reason why so often husbands and wives are complete opposites of each other in terms of their personalities and character traits. And I realize that that is somewhat of a generalization and it is not always the case. But it is a rather common phenomenon in marriage that opposites are often attracted to each other. The areas where a husband is strong, his wife is usually not very strong and vice versa. For example, while one is usually outgoing in personality, the other is more retiring in personality. And it just sort of goes like that in their whole their whole makeup. You see, often men and women are drawn and attracted to each other's strengths because they're not strong in that area. They, they admire the other one because they have certain strengths that are lacking in them. This is the way that God puts together a couple so that they will help to complete and balance each other out. They are indeed perfectly suited for one another. And so this is what God says that Adam Needs. He needs a companion who would be his helper, who would complete what is lacking in him. But where is he going to get one of these? The only creatures that he's aware of are the animals that God has already created. So what we read next in Genesis 2 is a bit startling, especially if you've never read this before. It's even startling if you have read it before. Notice verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. Now, he's already formed them. He's just telling us he had formed them. Now, he's brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, it would appear that as God brought all the animals before Adam to be named, that Adam was looking for a special companion from amongst the animal kingdom. That's why I say this is somewhat startling. Remember, Adam has never read Genesis 2. He doesn't know what's really going on. But obviously, he couldn't find one there. Apparently, this was also God's way of arousing in Adam an awareness of his need for a human Female partner, a perfect counterpart to him because as he looked at all the animals before him, he saw that they had all been created, male and female, except him. Only Adam was alone without a female partner. What he needed then was someone on his level, someone also made in the likeness and image of God, and that's why we read at the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. No one else was suitable for Adam. And so God did did something about this. He provided a human wife for Adam. And in doing so the Lord reveals a second purpose for marriage. Now before we look at this second purpose for marriage, I just want to pause here for a a few moments to consider What we've learned so far about marriage, in terms of the big picture, it is easy to get lost in the details and forget the big picture. See, what we read here in Genesis 2 concerning marriage is that God created the institution of marriage for our good. Not our detriment, but our good. That's an important truth to get hold of, and it's one that many have never gotten hold of. See, in spite of the rising divorce rate and all the challenges that marriage brings, marriage is not evil. It's not a necessary evil, as some make it out to be, nor is marriage to be spoken of as something negative or poking fun at it by putting it down as a painful experience. Those who have a disdain for marriage tend to be individuals who have experienced a difficult marriage and a failed marriage, and it's been difficult and failed for them because they have not followed God's blueprint for a successful marriage. Consider, for example, Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of our nation, whose marriage of 22 years to Mary Todd has been described as stormy. Here's what Lincoln said, probably speaking out of his own experience about marriage. He said, marriage is neither heaven nor hell, it's just purgatory. Well, based on this statement, it would appear that Mr. Lincoln knew more about running the country than he did about building a relationship with his wife. It is not purgatory. According to what we've discovered in Genesis 2, and God's original design for marriage, God didn't give you a spouse to make your life miserable, to put you in an unpleasant situation. He gave you a marriage partner to help you to live well, to help you to better your life to improve your life. That's why he gave marriage. Marriage is a gracious gift from our gracious God to his people and to humanity in general. Frankly, outside of salvation, I can't think of anything sweeter in life than to have a spouse who is your best friend and who helps you to live better. But in order for this to be your experience, you need to make sure that you are working on being your spouse's best friend. It doesn't automatically happen. You have to work at it. And that as a husband, you are receiving your wife's input and her help. And that as a wife, you give your your husband wise input and help. This is the way God designed marriage to function. So what we've discovered... Thus far, here in Genesis chapter 2, is that God's first purpose in creating marriage was to create marriage for our good, by providing us with what we needed, a spouse who would be our best friend. But as the story of Genesis continues, as we see God providing Eve for Adam, we see a second purpose that the Lord had in mind for creating marriage, which is this. God created marriage, note this, to be the priority relationship in life. The priority relationship in life. Notice verses 21 and 22. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, what we read here is that God supernaturally caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, the divine surgeon performed an operation on him. The Lord removed one of Adam's ribs as well as some flesh. And we know that's the case because Adam later says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he fashioned that into a woman. Now, why did God create Eve this way? And why a rib? Well, there are all kinds of suggestions that have been made to explain why God did it this way. But frankly, most of those suggestions sound more like a sentimental, romantic, hallmark greeting card than biblical truth. The biblical reason why God created Eve from Adam was to establish the unity of the human race. So that it would be clear that women are not inferior to men. They are made of the same stuff and therefore women are equal to men because they are both created in the image and likeness of God. Now, why God used a rib to create Eve, I don't know. But don't get your theology from Hallmark. Get it from the Bible. We don't know. God hasn't revealed that. But the fact that Eve was part of Adam's body is very significant because it tells us that they and all married couples are really one body, one flesh, and why is that so important? Let's read on and we'll find out why. Folks, this is critical. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. After God brought Eve to Adam, as the previous verse tells us, Adam shouts out these words that we read here in verse 23 concerning his wife. Now, the reason I say he shouts out these words is because one could hardly imagine Adam very calmly saying, well, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, the man has been looking at animals all day. He's searching for his life's partner, and now he wakes up and sees this beautiful woman, his wife, for the first time, and he's absolutely thrilled. And we know he's thrilled because as one Bible teacher puts it, I love it the way he he put this. He said, the words, this is now hardly conveys the intensity of Adam's words, finally, at last, or wow, Come closer, at last. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Folks, these words are a cheer from Adam. They are not, it's not a calculated theological statement. Adam is just overwhelmed with joy because finally, he's not alone anymore. He has his life's companion and helper and she's someone who shares his nature. Someone just like him, made in the image and likeness of God. In fact, In fact, she is so much like him, and she so completes him that they are really one. That's why he says, her bones, they're my bones. Her flesh, my flesh. In reality, Adam and Eve are so much one flesh and one body that he actually gives her his name. See, the Hebrew word for man is ish. And so he calls her isha, woman. So, why? Why did God create Eve this way? Why didn't he just create her at the same time that he created Adam? Why did he take Isha from Ish, Eve from Adam, and and make them one? Why go to all that trouble to perform surgery on Adam? Well, the Lord tells us why he did it this way in the very next verse. And in doing so... It's here that he explains the second great purpose for marriage. Pay close attention. Verse 24, that verse that we mentioned earlier that Jesus spoke of in the New Testament. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, as we said earlier, this is God's editorial comment on his purpose for creating the institution of marriage. And it's an important editorial statement because in this one verse, we are told that God created marriage, watch this, in order to form a unique relationship between a man and a woman that was to, note this, supersede and surpass all other human relationships in importance. In other words, the marriage relationship of a man and a woman who have become one is to be the priority relationship of humans in life. There should be no other relationship between humans that is to be more important than that of a husband and wife to each other. Now notice how God explains this. He says that in light of Adam and Eve being one flesh and therefore all husbands and wives being one flesh And they are one flesh, not because of divine surgery physically, but when the minister says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, God in your souls does do this surgery, and you become fused together. You do become one. So he says that in light of Adam and Eve becoming one flesh, and therefore all husbands and wives being one flesh too, a man, because of this, is to leave his parents. And the implication is a woman too. He says, for this reason, meaning for the reason that once a man marries a woman, he is one with her, he shall leave mom and dad. Now, this statement tends to not shock us like it should. It did shock people in the ancient world in biblical times, but it doesn't shock us like it like it should. And I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. Number one, because we are so familiar with these verses, these words that most of us don't even think about them. And we, we don't, they don't really get what they mean or even imply. We're just so familiar, we don't, we don't give them a second thought. But secondly, we live in a culture where relationships with parents are not as important as they once were. And certainly not as important as they were in ancient cultures. Here's the way Timothy Keller in his book, on marriage explains the importance that ancient cultures placed upon the parent-child relationship. He writes, ancient cultures put enormous emphasis on the parent-child relationship. Pleasing your parents, being faithful to the wishes of your parents was all important. In most traditional cultures, even today, parents and grandparents are given great authority and children are expected to heed their parents' wishes above all other requests. And there is a certain warrant for this kind of respect, but Uh, He says, by the time you are a young adult, you should be willing to admit that the single relationship that has most shaped who you are for good and ill is your relationship to your parents. You wouldn't be alive without them. And all but a few parents have made enormous sacrifices for the well-being of their children, end of quote. And yet, folks, in light of this high regard that children are to have for their parents and the close relationship they have had with their parents growing up, God says that when you get married, your relationship with your spouse must supersede all other relationships, including parents. Now, this doesn't mean that you're no longer close to your parents. You should be close to them. Nor does it mean that you have to physically leave them by by geographically moving away. In fact, in biblical times, a young couple often lived with their parents. So it can't mean that. No, the leaving that God is talking about is not physical, it's not geographical, but it involves changing your perspective. It involves changing your relationship with your parents. When you get married, that relationship you once had with your mom and dad is to change. Because no longer should your parents be the most important people in your life. Now your spouse must be. See, what God is saying here is that your relationship with your spouse is to be the most important relationship you have with anyone else on earth. More important than your relationship, not only with your parents, but listen, with your job and the people you work with every day, with your friends, your ministry, your hobbies, and dare I say, more important than a relationship with your children and grandchildren, Listen, don't make the mistake of building your world around your children and making them your priority relationship in life. You are to love them. You are to care for them. You are to train them to follow Christ, but make sure that you don't center everything around them to the neglect of your relationship with your husband or wife. That's just wrong. It violates God's word. There is to be nothing more important to you than your marriage and your relationship with your spouse. No one else on earth should get more of your love, more of your attention, more of your affection and commitment than your spouse. Listen, their opinions and their approval should be more important to you than anyone else's, including your parents. And I would say especially your parents. But sadly, that is often not the case. Often not the case. And I understand, these messages are painful if things are not in order. But you still need to hear the word of God so you get things in order. In one of his books, one of the books that I've been reading on marriage, the author presents this all too common scenario. He writes, When I was a young pastor in a small southern town, I did a lot of marriage counseling. Some marriages were harmed by things like drink, drugs, pornography, or an extramarital affair. But in most of the troubled marriages I saw, the problem stemmed not from bad things, but from very good things that had become too important. When some good thing becomes more engrossing and important than your spouse, it can destroy the marriage. He writes, there are many varieties. Sometimes I heard a wife say his parents' opinions are more important to him than mine. Pleasing them is more important to him than pleasing me. Or I would hear a husband say she's totally wrapped up in the kids, in their needs, programs, school, social life. If I need something, she shrugs and says, okay, but it's the kids and their needs that really excite her. Being a mother is much more enjoyable to her than being a wife. And then the author says, if your spouse does not feel that you are putting him or her first, then by definition, you are not. And when that happens, he says, your marriage is dying.
2: That is a bad sign indeed. But it's not too late if we repent, ask our spouse for forgiveness, and follow through by making that person the highest priority among all our friendships. I like to advise young people to consider their spouse's happiness essential to their own. And if we really are one flesh, it will be. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our study leader. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That number again is 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a ministry supported by generous listeners like you. We are grateful for those who help us cover the costs of producing and airing these daily radio Bible classes. If you'd like to participate financially in this ministry, it's easy to do at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click on the giving link and you'll see what I mean. We always seek to use your gifts wisely and for God's glory. Also at the website, we have an audio library that includes all of our previous broadcasts. So it's easy to get caught up on anything in this series that you may have missed or explore other topics as the Lord leads. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. The way God designed marriage, when a man and a woman become husband and wife, they become one flesh. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will explain what it means to be one flesh. I hope you can be here.